Hey everyone, I'm Dominique. And I'm Heidi. Welcome to More Grats. We're glad you decided to waste some time with us. Hey, Heidi, do you know what's really incredible? What? That people who aren't related to us listen to our podcast. I know. We have so many listeners. Like, I am blown away. Well, so many for us. I mean, well, for, well we thought it was going to be like 15 and they were all going to be people that lived in our town. Yeah, well, it's just, it's mind blowing that people that have no connection to us listen to our podcast. It's so cool. Literally across the world. I know. It's so awesome. We appreciate that, yeah. you guys. It's just really so, it it makes me feel really good. It's, I'm glad that you like it. It's gotten bigger than I thought it ever would. It's only I, been a couple months. Yeah, it's only been a couple months, and it's and it's growing. So we appreciate it yes. so much, you guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank, Thank you. you. Um, also, thanks to Sherry and Gina who reached out to us to tell us they like the podcast, and we can't forget the super fan Peyton. Definitely. Thank you, Peyton. Thanks, Peyton. Well, before we start, we want to remind you we are talking about death. If you are easily offended by rude humor and foul language or are particularly sensitive to discussions about death, you may want to pass on this podcast. We are wildly inappropriate at times, but that comes directly from growing up in a funeral home. The way we insulate ourselves is by humor, and for us, it's a lot better to laugh even when you feel like crying. Heidi, we've talked about this before. How much would someone have to pay you to get up in the middle of the night out of a dead sleep and after working all day? and go pick up a dead body that may or may not be rotten. I don't even think I could answer that. That's, I guess it would depend on what time of the month it was. (laughs) And I'm not talking about payday. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, how much would it take to get you to scrub brains and blood off walls, tear up carpet and floorboards, and take everything out of a room and clean it? Oh my God, who's that supermodel? I think she said, I don't get out of bed for less than $10,000 a day. Linda Evangelista, yes. Okay, that's, that's an appropriate answer here, okay, I think. I think that would be my answer for this too. Well, it's not a job many people would do, yet there are people who specialize in this. This type of work goes by several names, crime scene cleanup, trauma cleaning, biohazard remediation, decontamination, but it all means the same thing cleaning disgusting stuff normal people wouldn't touch. Yeah, I don't consider myself normal and I wouldn't do it. Today, our death story focuses on the nasty job of death scene cleanup. And our funeral home story tells that, like death investigations, that job is best left to the professionals. This episode is a little graphic and has sensitive subject matter, and our funeral home story includes suicide. If this topic isn't interesting to you or makes you uncomfortable, please skip. That said, welcome to episode 15. Clean up on aisle five. You're so stupid. I think we're hilarious. (laughs) We didn't even practice that. We both just said it the exact same way. I know. It's because we're basically the same person. Clean Clean up up on aisle five. I know. Sometimes I wonder if we should have been twins because... We finish each other's sentences. Yeah. Yeah, I know. We are really... Well, my husband would not say that I'm like you. He likes you way better Uh, than me. He likes you way better than me. My husband would say the exact same thing. (laughs) That's so funny. (laughs) He said, I always saw those girls and thought, I'm going to marry her. And then she married Derek, so I got stuck with you. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. Uh, Well, a crime scene cleanup may seem like a new idea to a lot of people, thanks to the rise in popularity of crime shows like CSI. But the industry started well before television made it a household name. 
Before there were companies like Aftermath and ServPro who specialize in mopping up after disasters, the task of cleaning up after a violent incident or a scene where a person has been dead for a long time was the responsibility of the family or property owner. Just think about that for a minute. Let's say your family member has been the victim of a gruesome murder. There's blood and pieces of flesh strewn all over the house, or even if it's just in one room, it doesn't matter, it's still horrifying. After the intense shock of learning that your relative is dead sinks in, you look and you're looking around the complete chaos of the room, wondering how you're going to cope with it all, not only would the task itself seem overwhelming, but the emotional toll would prove to be too much. Yeah, that could almost be described as a form of torture. And no kidding. And it's not like you can just go in with a can of Lysol. Blood is insidious and very hard to get rid of. And since blood and other biological matter is considered a biohazard, cleaning these scenes are not recommended for amateurs or left to the merrymaids. Plus, the forensic cleaners are faced with not only visual horrors, but the job can be downright uncomfortable. It can be hot and hard to breathe in all that protective gear. In the case where a human body has been left to decompose for several weeks, the smell can make you hurl. You often have to battle maggots and flies. It's just gross. Gross. Yeah. Gross. And little side note, personally, in my real job, um, recently I've had to go into two homes that were like this. One fellow had died in a bathtub and had been there for way too long and the, the stench and the flies and maggots it's you just can't even believe it unless you've seen it it's so disgusting and the other one the woman was a hoarder and she literally had so much stuff in her house she couldn't even walk to the bathroom she ended up there was like a poop bucket oh she was going to the bathroom in a bucket and then of course after a while that spills over she it literally couldn't get around in her house oh gross how and did... she died there oh, and how... nobody it took a while to find her oh my gosh how how did you even manage to be in that i mean didn't you like oh get... i yep i and we were wearing gear and everything oh. and <laughs> it was so disgusting and i was trying to hold it together i had to go outside and vomit it Ugh. was yeah you just couldn't you no matter how strong you think Gross. your stomach is. And you know is. what? That smell gets in your nose and you can't, you can't get, get rid, rid of, of it. it. Nope. You can't. Oh, oh. God. Ugh. Okay. So how exactly do these people do their jobs? What's the process? Generally, this is how it goes. First, they need the proper equipment. Personal protective equipment, or PPE, includes non-porous gloves, Tyvek coverall suits, chemical spilled boots, shoe covers, filtered respirators, masks, etc. And that's just to protect their bodies. Some other equipment they need can be found in your very own home, such as buckets, mops, rags, and sponges. Tools common in most garages are utilized as well. Shovels for scooping coagulated body fluids into biohazard containers, ladders for cleaning ceilings and high walls, putty knives for scraping solidified matter off hard surfaces, and box cutters or razor blades to cut away carpet and fabric. Some of the disinfectants they use are also common, like bleach and peroxide. Of course, the cleaners have to use a lot of things that most people don't have readily available, like industrial strength deodorizers, fogger machines, enzyme solvents, and ozone machines. To contain anything that has been contaminated with biological material, the workers must use heavy-duty hazmat bags 
or solid plastic containers, which is another thing most people don't have lying around. Heidi, we had an ozone machine for the prep room, and it came in handy. Yeah. Well, it's one thing to protect yourself on the outside, but it is equally important to protect yourself on the inside. Many crime scene cleanup workers receive regular vaccines to make sure their bodies can combat any infections they run up against. Most companies also offer regular counseling sessions for their employees to make sure their mental health remains in check. Okay, so the workers are protected inside and out and have their proper tools. Now what? Well, the first thing they need to do is check with the investigating agencies to make sure it's all right for them to go in to the scene and start their work. You can't be cleaning a crime scene while it's still being investigated. Then they will collect all the things at the scene that need to be thrown away. Solid, non-porous items can be disinfected, but many items such as things made from fabric, wood, even electronics will most likely have to be discarded. Anything left at the scene will then be disinfected in place to avoid spreading any contagions. After that, what can be removed from the scene will be taken out so the actual structure can be cleaned. Working from the ceiling to the floor, the forensic cleaners climb onto their ladders and clean from the top to the bottom of the room so as not to recontaminate anything that has already been washed. If they miss a spot above the current cleaning area, they use new instruments again so they don't recontaminate a previously scrubbed area. Depending on the scene, this includes scraping and scrubbing with industrial strength solutions, and it's basically just a lot of hard work. After the initial cleaning is completed, they need to disinfect everything. The crime scene cleaners go over everything again with bleach or peroxide, once again using all fresh instruments. To deodorize the scene, they make sure there is proper ventilation, then apply super strong deodorizing solutions. Once this is done, all their waste bags and containers must be disposed of in an appropriate biohazard disposal site. After that, any structural repairs to the house or room are made. The cleanup team may be prepared to do this job or they may hire that part out to contractors. How much does this usually cost? Well, first, many insurance companies will cover most of the cost. The fees run anywhere from $150 to $600 per hour and these situations usually are billed by, by the hour. Average cleanups end up being between $1,000 and $5,000 to clean and decontaminate. And if you think that's a lot, think about how much money it would take for you to do it. <laughs> All right, now for the good stuff. As most of you are aware, when a body starts to decompose, all the liquid leaves it. And remember, the human body is mostly liquid, so that's a lot of bodily fluid seeping into whatever the person is laying on. That makes for some really horrendous messes. We wanted to know about the grossest death scene cleanups ever, and we're pretty sure you're curious too. So here's what we found. Forensic cleaners in Australia were met with a grisly sight. An elderly man had died and went undiscovered for a month. He died in his bathroom and his body had melded with the tile floor. Imagine a dirty oven with grease baked onto the bottom. The cleaners said they had to chisel the body from the tile and just put it in biohazard bags. Ugh. I'm imagining it must have been like burnt caramel, like really hard in places, but could come up in large pieces if you got good leverage under the scraper. <laughs> <laughs> kind of when you pick your scabs. Yes. You want to get that really good big Yes, piece. you have to get around the edge first. Yeah. Get, uh, loosen it up. Loosen it up and get your nails so you can get pull it off in one piece. Yep. Oh, that's the best. Nice and slow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, in another case, a cleaner and his work partner knew it would be a bad day when they could smell the scene a block away while they were still sitting in their truck. 
This is another instance where a man had been dead for weeks. So it seems like those might be worse than murder scenes, the ones with extreme decomposition. Anyway, this gentleman bent down to get a package and had a heart attack and died. To make things worse, he was 400 pounds. Oof. The cleaner said the leakage from the body was so extreme, he had to go through five layers to remove all the body fluids, the flooring, subfloor, support beams, insulation, and even the dirt beneath the house. Holy crap. That's a lot of thorough cleaning. Yes. Jeez. Well, shotguns leave a big mess. According to one cleaner, those are the worst. She recalled going to the scene of a murder-suicide and found blood and tissue everywhere. After the bodies were taken away and the investigators had finished with the scene, the team started their work. They had to spend the first few hours just checking for and picking up brain matter and pieces of bone from every nook and cranny of the room. Stuff was wedged between the wall paneling, fused to the baseboards, stuck inside vents, even behind things that were hanging on the wall, and the floor looked like a lake of blood. Okay, now, I don't want to be outdone by you. <laughs> so I have two stories about gross, nasty scenes, but... Unlike you, I didn't go into them. These were just told to me. But, oh. Okay. Anyway, you want to hear them? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> A little disappointed you didn't get to smell them for yourself. No, but... I've smelled plenty. Yes, you have. <laughs> okay. Well, one was a middle-aged woman living alone. She was ill and had a home health nurse come visit a couple times a week. So it wasn't like she was left to rot like some of these cases. Anyway, I'm not sure how long the lady had been dead, but it hadn't been too long, maybe three days tops. When the people entered the home, the smell was overwhelming. It wasn't decomp, but it was almost as bad. The lady had been in her bed and that's where the mess started. She'd managed to get from her bedroom to her bathroom, but she left a trail of shit and blood wherever she stepped. The poor woman had something wrong with her intestines and she started hemorrhaging out of her booty hole. She died on the bathroom floor and I guess not one inch of the floor wasn't covered in bodily fluids. And I have no idea who cleaned up that mess. Oh, that is so gross and so sad. Gross and sad, yeah, yeah. Well, the other one was an old guy who died in his, um, had a heart attack and died in his hot tub. <laughs> and I'm not sure how long he'd been there, but he was there long enough to turn to stew in the water. Oh. I don't know who cleaned that up either. Think of trying to sell that house. Now here we have a beautiful three bed, two bath with a hot tub that doubles as a crock pot. <laughs> <laughs> That's disgusting. <laughs> Gross. You'd just get rid of it, right? Oh, you'd have to. Yeah, you'd yeah. have to. You'd have to. Ugh. Well, I don't know about you, but death cleanup is on the list of jobs I will not be applying for. Ditto. Well, are you ready for our funeral home story? You know I am. As always, names have been changed. And we want to reiterate that these stories are based on actual events. Like, this stuff really happened to us or our family. Yeah. And they're personal experiences, these yeah. second half yeah. stories well, some, are, so. some people have asked us if yeah, they're like, real. Okay, so. did that really happen? Yeah. The answer is always yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then when there's other questions, I think our standard answer is, you, you just, just keep, keep wondering, wondering about, about that. that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but they are all, all true. Yeah. All right, take it away. All right. When the Acme County Sheriff's Office called to request the pickup of a dead body, the undertaker did what he'd always done, drop what he was doing, kiss his wife goodbye, and head for the address. 
The deputy mentioned the deceased was an elderly man who had taken his own life. Is it messy? The undertaker asked. Well, it ain't pretty, responded the deputy. The home wasn't far, just down the road, and the undertaker arrived within 10 minutes of the call. At first, nothing seemed unusual except the police car sitting in the driveway behind a faded red pickup truck. Then the undertaker noticed the name stenciled on the mailbox by the curb, W. Jones. Wilbur, the undertaker said aloud, looking closer at the red truck. He glimpsed the yellow peace sign decal on the back window right behind the driver's seat. Oh no, Wilbur, you didn't. If there was one thing the undertaker could be sure of, it was that whenever he went to the hardware store, he would run into Wilbur Jones. The old man tottered down the aisles every single day, chatting with old friends and making new ones. Wilbur became such a regular, the manager moved a wooden bench near the paint bay at the center of the store so Mr. Jones could do his visiting while seated. He had become a town favorite, doling out pennies to the children and advice to the adults. Wilbur had always had a smile on his face and seemed perpetually happy. As the undertaker slid the cot out of the van, he remembered the old man always peppered him with odd questions. Have you ever had to sew anyone's face back on? Have you ever tasted human brains? The undertaker thought this strange, but always answered truthfully. Yes, he'd had to sew someone's face back on. No, he'd never tasted human brains. Rolling the cot toward the front door, he felt profound sadness knowing that weird questions would never come again from Wilbur Jones. Deputy Smith opened the door and grabbed the foot end of the cot, dragging its wheeled legs up and over the threshold. He shook the undertaker's hand and said, Wilbur's in the hallway. The undertaker followed the officer through the small, neat living room and toward a brightly lit hall lined with dozens of framed photographs. He stopped abruptly and stared at the carnage. White walls displayed rivers of blood and bits of tissue as if someone had stopped at the entrance and sprayed a hose into the narrow space. Wilbur's body lay flat on its back, the head obliterated. The gun had already been removed from the scene. Jesus, he meant it, didn't he? He sure did. The undertaker slid his hands into his front pockets. He always seemed so happy. Wilbur's the last person I thought would do something like this. Deputy Smith shrugged. Yeah, I guess you never know what's going on in people's lives. The two men wrapped a sheet around Wilbur's body and lifted him to the cot. The undertaker rolled it back to the living room and asked the officer, does he have any family? Deputy Smith pulled a piece of paper from his breast pocket and unfolded it. I think there's a relative in Utah. Same last name anyway. It was written in that notebook over there. The deputy indicated a blue spiral notebook sitting on an end table beside Wilbur's well-worn recliner. And you gotta see this. It is wild. Deputy Smith crossed the room, picked up the pad, and handed it to the undertaker. The undertaker took it and opened it up. He scanned the first few pages before speaking. He asked everyone these questions? I thought it was just me. Oh no. Looks like he asked everyone in town one thing or another. The undertaker continued reading. At the top of each page was a heading, then questions written in Wilbur's precise, compact hand. Next to each question was a column with yes or no and a check mark for the appropriate answer. Questions for the butcher. Have you ever found a human body part in the ground beef? Checked no. Have you ever eaten a raw chicken thigh? Checked no. The undertaker turned a page. Questions for the cop. 
Have you ever had someone pee in the back of your squad car? Checked, yes. Have you ever tased someone in the balls? Checked, no. Then the undertaker reached his own page. Have you ever had to sew anyone's face back on? Checked, yes. Have you ever tasted human brains? Checked, no. Deputy Smith chuckled. <laughs> Odd old duck, wasn't he? The town's sure gonna miss him. The undertaker fanned through the rest of the pages. There were questions for the doctor, the lawyer, the mailman. Wonder why he did this? Maybe he was writing a book. I'd buy that book. You, me, and probably the entire town. That's some good bathroom reading right there. The men looked around the tidy house. Wilbur had washed his dishes and the trash had been emptied. It appeared he was leaving for vacation. The only thing amiss in the quaint home was the hallway, which resembled the set of a slasher movie. Who do you suppose gets to clean that mess? Asked the undertaker. Well, whoever owns the property or the family. Yikes, that doesn't seem right. Isn't there someone who does it? Deputy Smith peered into the hall. Not around here. The undertaker laid his hand on the fabric covering Wilbur's body. I can't leave the house like this. Deputy Smith jangled his car keys. Well, knock yourself out. I have to go back to the office and write a report. I'll be back after a bit. Once the officer backed out of the drive and coasted away down the tree-lined street, the undertaker found a new roll of paper towels in Wilbur's pantry and a bottle of cleaner under the sink and got to work. Starting on the walls nearest to where the body had fallen, the undertaker sprayed a lemony mist and scrubbed. Each picture had to be removed and he was careful to take them down one at a time in order to replace the photo right back where it had hung. As he wiped away blood spray, bits of skin, and hair, the undertaker found himself staring at the photographs. That tattered eight by 10 of the old couple standing in the cornfield, could that be Wilbur's parents? The color-enhanced headshot of a woman with a poofy hair flipped out at the ends, could that have been Wilbur's wife? What about the picture of a younger Wilbur Jones standing next to a boy in front of a 50s era car? Could that be his son? The undertaker glanced back to the main room, staring at the cot holding Wilbur's body. How long had he known the man? 10 years? 20? Over time, Wilbur Jones had asked his friends and neighbors about their lives. Sure, the questions were odd and sometimes unsettling, but he'd asked. A feeling of shame cloaked the undertaker as he realized he had never bothered to ask Wilbur any questions about his past, his experiences. Had anyone? Wilbur Jones, a permanent fixture sitting on the bench in the paint bay of the local hardware store, was an enigma. Everyone knew him. No one knew him. The undertaker carried the empty trash can from Wilbur's kitchen into the hallway and began stuffing soiled paper towels inside. He'd take the bag with him. The old man had obviously not wanted garbage left in the house. When the undertaker completed his task, he took a good look around the hallway. He'd done the best he could. At least the next person who entered the house wouldn't be forced to see all that blood. As he tugged the bag from the garbage can, the undertaker noticed a dark spot on the wall. When he went to wipe it, he soon realized it wasn't a stain, but a shadow. The undertaker glanced around, trying to locate the source and saw he had missed a quarter-sized chunk of brain matter, which had landed on a bare yellow bulb dangling from the ceiling. He reached up to remove the firm gelatinous hunk, at once hearing a sizzling sound and feeling a searing pain in the pad of his index finger. Instinctively, the undertaker jerked back and stuck his finger in his mouth, and it was too late before he could comprehend what he had just done.
He closed his eyes and bowed his head. Then he walked back to the living room and picked up the notebook. If old Wilbur was writing a book, the information needed to be accurate. Once he found the page marked questions for the undertaker, he crossed out the check mark in the no column. Have you ever tasted human brains? Checked, yes. <laughs> Okay, you test something hot. What do you do? Yeah, put it put instantly. Your, you put, put it in your, put mouth. It your mouth. You don't even think about it. That's why you wear gloves. <laughs> right, right. Well, even if you do wear gloves, you're still touching. The gloves are still touching. Yeah. The glo- oh, yeah. It's gross. It's, it's really, really, it's just really gross. gross. <laughs> and yes, that really, really, and yes, really, that happened. really happened. <laughs> Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. Remember, be kind. Any day above ground is a good one. And finally, keep keep on breathing. breathing.